Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tātou au horihori. He hotake e pāna ki tō tātou au whanui. You're with our changing world on Radio New Zealand National. And now, to mark Ruth Barron's departure, we thought we'd replay her feature on sleep apnea, which won Best Feature or Documentary at the 2012 New Zealand Radio Awards. Maui Stewart's first step to better health was discovering that he had sleep apnea, and Ruth went to meet him and Jesse Bucker from Well Sleep at Wellington's Bowen Hospital to find out what happens during an overnight sleep study. Have you ever been to a hospital where you, where you weren't sick? Well, you didn't think you were sick. I was put in this room 6 o'clock at night, I walked in here. There wasn't any big crowds, there wasn't any... Just a, a, a technician, I think it was, come in and explained to me what we, what we were trying to do for the evening. They showed me a video and um, after a while they, they did a few tests and they weighed me was a big one and I, and I weighed in at 159.8 kgs and that was so close to where my father passed away of sleep apnea. Um, his oxygen stopped going to his heart which stopped going to his brain and he died um, 16 years ago. Unfortunately, they didn't have the um, the understanding or the research that, that, that we have these days. And um, I guess, you know, one day I, I really didn't want to be like my father and and be so big. And um, basically I broke down and cried in this room. Um, I said a prayer to myself. And... Um, just tried to believe in myself when I, when I went to sleep that night, and um, I, I didn't I didn't have a very good night start to that to that night. But later on, I um, I, I, I had the CPAC machine on and, and was able to get the best sleep, I believe, in, in, in 20, 25 years. Um, and within that time, I, I had the small dream and. Uh, it keeps coming back to me today where this, this, this Māori woman walks in with my breakfast and she put it on the table and she goes, good morning Māori, uh, we've got the results of your tests and unfortunately you're not going to see 50. I'm uh, 43 years old at the moment and I thought, seven years? No, that can't be right. I'm not ready to go, hang on. And she goes, and she walked around, she turned around and she walked out and she comes back in and, and this isn't a dream of course and... Um, she says, how was your breakfast? And I says, well, it wasn't too good. You just told me I'm going to die, you know. And, um, and she says, oh, but we can help you. And all of a sudden that just snapped me into something. Other. Right here, we're ready for treatment. What kind of people can I find to make me a better Maui? I mean, the hardest thing about the sleep apnea is actually recognising that you've got it. Because when you go to sleep, you don't know what's going on. A lot of people, you know, told me that I'm one of the best snorers in the business. 
and um, and sometimes you know that, that that made me feel very uncomfortable. But uh, waking up that morning and and realizing that this is the beginning of a new me, maybe my my prayers have been answered. Jesse, what is sleep apnea? Sleep apnea is, uh, well, obstructive sleep apnea is a sleep disorder that's characterised by uh, pauses in breathing um, caused by some kind of blockage somewhere in the upper airway. Um, so as, as we drop off to sleep, and this happens with everyone, um, your muscles will all start to relax. But in some people, and there are a variety of reasons for this, the muscles around the upper airway, around the throat, relax to the extent where the airway collapses in and closes. And so that will lead to several pauses of at least 10 seconds at a time in breathing. Now that leads to a, a drop in oxygen levels in the blood, uh, which is a problem in itself, obviously. But the main issue is that your, your brain will sense that and will wake you up, which is a good thing. It's a survival thing. You don't want to go too long without, without breathing. But it does mean that your sleep becomes highly fragmented and there are constant arousals several times an hour and that a person with obstructive sleep apnea will wake up in the morning and often report that they... They felt like they haven't even slept. You know, they know that they've had the eight hours sleep, but the sleep quality is so bad and the sleep is so disrupted that it can cause all sorts of problems down the line. I guess the main symptom that a person might notice um, in themselves is the tiredness and fatigue during the day, the constant sleepiness. Although there are plenty of people with even severe obstructive sleep apnea that don't have that daytime sleepiness. And the other main risk with obstructive sleep apnea is a long-term risk of... Um, heart disease, cardiovascular disease, stroke, high blood pressure, all this kind of thing. Diabetes. So, yeah, obesity. yeah, it's associated with a lot of other um, mm. disorders and diseases, yeah. That's, that's my CV, she's just... <laughs> 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 there were days, mornings I woke up and felt like I'd been 12 rounds with David too. Now, a lot of changes that had to be made to, to, to deal with that problem. What tests did you have done here in this room? I can't remember a whole lot of them. I mean, all I remember is being hooked up like a robot, like C-3PO had a Star Wars movie and, and, and getting this big thing put on my face. And I tell you, I wouldn't have looked pretty, but maybe Jess can talk about some of the tests that they did on me. I think, like Maui has said, a lot of patients find that the night quite overwhelming because there's a lot of information to process as well as the test, so it's not surprising that you don't remember them all. A patient will typically come in at 6 or 7 in the evening they will watch a video, they'll have plenty of time to discuss what sleep apnea is and, and how the evening and the night is going to work uh, with the staff here. The test itself is called a polysomnography. Um, it's just the fancy term for an overnight sleep study. Poly, what's the word? <laughs> polysomnography. <laughs> yeah, and that involves um, 10 leads being placed on the head and they look at brain activity, muscle tone and eye movement. We take a small ECG, or a limited channel ECG, to look at heart rate. We have an oximeter, which is a sensor that goes on the finger to look at oxygen levels in the blood, um, a couple of bands around the chest and the tummy, which look at breathing, and a couple of sensors on the legs, which tell us about big body movements. Um, alongside that, we monitor a video so that we can see you know, what, what's going on without actually having to come into the room, and we monitor snoring levels as well. Um, Maui's waving at the uh, camera yeah, up the there, camera. <laughs> which is not on, oh, <laughs> my dad. Sorry. Um, 
Yeah, and then the data is all recorded overnight and a technologist will generally take a couple of hours to score the study and come up with a, a diagnosis. Although often, if it's a very obvious diagnosis, the technologist on duty overnight can tell the patient the next day, you know, we definitely observed sleep apnea. And often if that's the case, if the sleep apnea is obvious in the first couple of hours of the night and the doctor who's referred the patient has indicated that they'd like to go ahead with treatment, we'll start the patient on treatment in the second half of the night, um, which is a very efficient way of doing things. We can get everything done, you know, a diagnosis made and treatment initiated in one night rather than two. What is the treatment? The gold standard treatment for obstructive sleep apnea is called CPAP, uh, CPAP, which stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. It's basically a machine, small machine that sits next to the patient's bed, which is connected to them via a hose and a mask that goes over the nose or the mouth or both, depending. The CPAP machine will be delivering normal room air into the patient's upper airway via the mask at a higher pressure than normal, and it's the pressure that's the key. So that extra air pressure that's in the upper airway holds the airway open, um, which then doesn't allow it to collapse. The patient will then just start to breathe normally, and eventually we hope it gets to the stage where it's a bit like putting a seatbelt on when you get in a car. It's just so automatic. Sick, you jump yeah. into bed, the mask goes on, the machine goes on, yeah. and it's just a um, becomes habit. You can think of the pressure of the machine a, a little bit like a dosage. Um, so it needs to be prescribed by a doctor. So the machine that a patient takes home the next morning is set to that pressure. And somebody with more severe sleep apnea will generally need a higher pressure. There are other factors at play there. Well, what pressure is Maui on? Maui, I think, started on 20. Maui, you can correct maximum, me if I'm wrong. Maximum level it was. Yeah, okay. So Maui was prescribed a pressure of 20, um, which is the highest that a standard CPAP machine will go to. Um, but his good news is that today we've, um, over the last couple of months, because we've seen Maui quite regularly, um, we've done some further tests and Maui's now going to drop down to 16. It's quite a jump down in pressure, and you should really yeah. notice the difference when you take the machine home. It's early days where <laughs> we'll still have, we might have to tweak that pressure up and down a little bit, but um, a reduction in pressure is, um, is a very good sign for Maui. It indicates that his obstructive sleep apnea is not as severe as it was only a few months ago when he was first diagnosed. Well, how do you test to see if someone can actually reduce the pressure on their machine? Well, for a lot of people... They might not ever need a pressure reduction. In fact, they might need a pressure increase. Generally, a patient might come back to us and say, I'm feeling better or worse. Um, or there, you know, a large amount of weight loss might indicate a pressure reduction is needed. Um, so we can do a number of things. Uh, we could bring a patient in for another overnight test. The alternative is that we can send a patient home on what's called an auto-adjusting CPAP. Um, and that is a little bit more sophisticated than a standard CPAP. It has a, a flow sensor which will detect pauses in breathing and adjust the pressure accordingly. So, you know, we might send a patient home using these one, of, one of these machines for about a week or so, and then we bring the machine back and download the data and have a look at what kind of pressure that machine thought was required. What does a CPAP machine sound like? Well... Well, there you go. I don't know whether you can hear that, but that's the sound that a machine should make if it's fitting correctly. Right. And what happens when it's not fitting correctly? Oh, well, if there's a leak in the... So if the mask is not fitting correctly, then a little bit of air will start to escape out the side. You'll get like a hissing kind of a sound. And we'll soon know about that because the patient <laughs> will find that very annoying to sleep with. And, and normally a spouse, actually, they're the first to complain. <laughs> right. But I guess they've been listening to snoring, haven't exactly. they? Exactly. For... Yes. You know, sometimes a spouse will turn up and say, oh, I don't want a machine in the room, but then they hear it and it's 
they realise that it's so much easier to sleep with a small background hum compared to the snoring that they might have put up with for 20 years or whatever. It takes, it takes a bit to get used to these machines too. It took me a few nights. I think I got the, uh, the sniffs or like a flu, flu type because it's just blowing that air on you and uh, I started to get a bit of a chill or a cold and she says, no, that's just normal. Don't be worried about it. And I'm thinking, oh, should I stop? Should I stop? No, ring Jess. <laughs> yeah. Congestion and, and symptoms that are a bit like getting a cold are a potential side effect. All modern machines these days have a water chamber attached to the front, um, which you can see on here. So water is put in there every night and it sits on a little hot plate there. So then the air comes through the water chamber and down the hose, which means that as it goes through, it picks up heat and um, moisture as it goes. And that can help alleviate the dryness and the flu-like symptoms, I guess, that can go along with CPAP treatment in the early days. Makes it a bit more comfortable, yeah. The, the main thing to remember with CPAP is that it's not a cure. It will only treat the obstructive sleep apnea while it's being worn. So if it's only worn for three nights out of seven or three hours out of an eight-hour sleep, that patient is only half treated. So the usage is the big hurdle. It's our job to try and get patients to be using the treatment all night, every night. That's our goal. And it's not, it's not easy. That was Jessie Bucker from the University of Otago, Wellington, and patient Maui Stewart. And in part two of the story, Ruth is back at Bowen Hospital to see what the future holds for Maui and to find out why some people in the community are less likely to use CPAP machines. But first, Jessie Bucker shows her how a technician can diagnose sleep apnea. What do the results look like? How can you tell that someone has sleep apnea? Each one of the leads, and there are about 20 sensors um, on a person, comes up on the monitoring room across the hallway uh, where the technologist is sitting awake all night. Um, They're very good at Sudoku as well, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Watching all these patterns. Yeah. Can we see some of the patterns? Absolutely, yeah. They're just across the hallway. Just bring up uh, a whole lot of squiggles. Exactly. Um, So here we have Maui starting the night at about um, half past ten, and then it goes through until Maui woke up at around about six fifteen. I'll zoom in on on these breathing traces, and you can see that um, they're nice, big, normal-looking breaths, but then all at once. Both of those, so I'm looking here at the thoracic and abdominal bands around the the chest and the tummy, um, and you can see that they really turn very flat. Um, So he's just not breathing? It's just not, yeah, so the the muscles around his stomach and his chest are not moving in and out. And then at the same time, we've got the airflow trace here, which is recorded with some sensors just underneath the nose, and you can see that there's also a pause in that. And then at the oxygen channel at the top there, you can see that it was quite high, but then it's suddenly come down here into the 60s, So the technologist would be looking at that and thinking, yep, this is not ideal. (laughs) Um, Eventually, at the end of one of these big pauses in breathing, that's when the brain kicks in and says, right, I need to get some more oxygen here. Maui would have had a very short arousal, um, and the arousal might only be for a fraction of a second. Um, So you wouldn't remember waking up. up. You're in a deep sleep, and of course, when you sleep, you've got different levels of sleep, and and I just wasn't getting to the deep sleep. According to this result, I was, I was getting there, but I wasn't staying there. Yeah, exactly. And um, again, it can be hard to look at these traces if you're not used to it, but the second half of the night 
once Naui has been put on CPAP. If we come down here, um, this is at 4.30 in the morning, and these same thoracic and abdominal bands are now showing a very nice regular pattern of breathing um, with no pauses, and the oxygen levels are uh, once again in the high 90s for that whole time. I was actually breathing. Yeah, I, was, exactly. I, was actually, I was actually getting a good night's sleep, basically. Yeah. And, and for me, I guess that that's what I probably lacked for the last 25 years of my life. So I just wasn't getting a good night's sleep. And you can't get into your day. You really, you really don't get out of first gear. It's like your, your engine running, running on two cylinders because the other two are still, you know, where are we? Where are we? What, are we what are we doing here? You know? So once the study is complete, what, the technologist would go back into that room and um, talk to the patient? Yep, absolutely. So the technologist will go, go into the room once the study is finished at about 6am. We'll wake the patient up if they're not already awake. We'll let them, you know, get up, have a shower if they want to, have breakfast, things like that, and then they'll generally have a sit-down chat and talk about the diagnosis of what they found. This is all before the study has been signed off and things, so it's, it's a preliminary diagnosis. Um, and they'll also introduce the patient to their brand-new CPAP machine, um, which we hope that they will make very good friends with. So they'll go through what CPAP is for, how it works, and how the patient needs to look after the machine, clean it, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff. And then hopefully the patient will go home reasonably happy. <laughs> um, Yet yeah, then we start the long-term follow-up care from there. And what happened for you, Maui? You woke up, they came and told you what had happened, and yeah. then you went home with the machine. Did you need extra help? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. There was, a, there was a lot of extra help that I needed. But first of all, I really needed to get to know my new partner that I slept with every night. I called her Hofatu, which is Breath of the Stars. And uh, that was the first thing I named her. And... Um, cared for her, fed her, because you need to give them energy or electricity, um, nourishment, which is uh, water. She played a few tricks on me. There's a few side effects that, that I went through, and lucky enough, uh, that's when I was introduced to Jess. It was uh, over the telephone. She rang me up the first morning. I, oh, Jesus, what are they doing ringing me? Just, how's it going? You know, we're just a phone call away. And, and that was that was reassuring because you're entering into a new stage of your life where you've got an opportunity to, to, to carry on. Um, they probably just gave me 20, 30 years more of life. The earlier you, re you, you can recognise that, the easier the treatment's going to be. Did you talk to other people about it? I was lucky enough to be into a study where they were... Um, having uh, hui or, or gatherings and, and other people with my uh, problem uh, sat around in an environment that was comfortable for for me and uh, a lot of the people which was on in my life uh, here in Wellington and, and Seaview and uh, we just talked about uh, problems that we had. We had a lot of laughs too, I think I can remember. You know, um, We started off with a karakia with a small prayer, and um, and we just talked about our problems and you know where we had come from to where we're at now, and and, and a lot of the um, the corridor that we're talking about related to all of us. Did talking help? Of course it did. Yeah, big help, and and it still does. I mean, you know what we're doing here today is also part of my treatment. I'm I'm heading in the right direction, not only with the CPAP machine. 
but also my blood results and my diabetes and my um, cholesterol, my, my, my fats intakes, um, and, and part of my, my, uh, my rehabilitation was actually what put, you're putting into your mouth, what you're eating, your diet. Um, and, and now I, I, I'm doing exercises that I enjoy. At the moment, we've uh, just got off the scales at uh, 139. So Down from? 159. Well, 159, yeah. So that's over a space of, what, four months? Four months, yep, that's right. It's not over. I mean, it's all about living. It's all about being a healthy, a healthy person, I guess, and thinking properly. Were you part of the research group that Maui was in? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this was a a two-part study. It was funded by a Lotteries Health Research Grant, um, which is through the Ministry of Internal Affairs. The part that Maui just mentioned was actually part two, where we were organising focus groups. Um, We we organised three. So the one that Maui was involved with, um, which was a group of our Maori patients, we also ran a separate group with some Pacific patients and some European patients. And what we really wanted to achieve with those group discussions, they were held in the evening for about an hour and a half in what we hoped was a, a casual kind of atmosphere so that people would feel comfortable talking to us and to each other. We were hoping to get feedback from patients about any reasons for why they may not use their machine or things that they liked and didn't like about their treatment, their follow-up support and things like that. And then also our final question was, you know, if you were in charge of giving this treatment to somebody else, what would you change about the service? Were there things that you would have liked us to have done better? And what we found was that actually the three different groups all had a lot of things in common. People talked about the same kind of barriers and the one thread that really ran through all three groups um, was the importance of role models. So it might be helpful for us to have these group discussions either with a successful CPAP user, somebody like Maui, or you know a group of new patients or whatever, you know, a casual group discussion um, which can be really beneficial for patients getting started on CPAP. Yeah. And if that was part two of the study, what was part one? Part one made up the bulk of the research. What we were looking at was um, Dr Angela Campbell had completed a study based on 2008 data that we collected here in our lab, which indicated that there was a a difference in usage uh, whereby Māori and Pacific patients tended to use CPAP fewer hours on average um, than Europeans. And we want to work out why. So we looked at various confounders, or what we suspected were confounders of that relationship. So we looked at things like socioeconomic deprivation, education levels, income, health literacy, which is a you know, understanding of health and medical terms and things. You test that one. What are all these, mate? Yes, everyone. And Maui went through that test as well. It takes up to about five minutes, and it's a word recognition task. Um, If you can say the word. Yeah, exactly. What what was it called? Polly Polly wants a what? (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't in the test. No, that wasn't. That was a a trick one. So we collected all of this data via questionnaires and tests and things like that throughout the trial period of about four weeks uh, per patient, and we had a sample of 126 we still found that difference in usage um, between Māori and non-Māori, but that we could explain that discrepancy uh, once we accounted for socioeconomic deprivation via a questionnaire, as well as education levels. And the the marker of education that we used was a little bit crude. It was a, the division of whether or not somebody had gone on to tertiary education 
or not. But, you know, future studies can hone in on that and say, well, what is it about education that affects somebody's health care? Is it access to health care? Is it understanding of um, what a doctor is saying and what the treatment's all about? You know, there is a lot that we can do with this. Maui, do you see yourself as a role model? Of course. I've always seen myself as a role model. Ever since I was a young person, um, being a leader or being a size of my, I, you know, I've always been a big, big person. Um, I've always excelled on, on, on the sports field. I didn't excel in the classroom. Um, you know, coming through school, I always struggled through school. Um, I finished. I never got kicked out. That was so positive, I guess. But um, uh, after school, I, I went into the sort of manual labour like a lot of people do, a lot of young people do, and... Um, and it's, it's not till now that I'm starting to realise maybe I should go back and, and retry school, you know, with the, with the maturity that I have now. But it's just I'm just finding it so much easier to think and to make decisions, basically to make correct decisions. Yeah. What's your goal? Uh, yeah, the, the the goal, the long term goal, is is of course to to get to a, a level, a weight level that I can stay there. We're looking at 50 kilos over two years. We're a long way there now, aren't we? Really? 20 so far. 20, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've got 16 months to go, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fade away to nothing here, aren't I? Um, unrecognisable. I've, I've, I've set me myself a, a series of little goals. Then we've got a uh, swim next month um, around the bays. I'll probably be the only one swimming it. And from there we go on to uh, a big ocean swim, which is the Cook Strait. We're going to have a go at the Cook Strait. Wow. <laughs> the goal is, you know, if it's going to take me all day and night and the next day to swim Cook Strait, it's about getting from one point to another and, and, and doing it safely too. That was Maui Stewart, and you also heard from Jessie Bucker at the University of Otago, Wellington. By the way, Ruth recorded a few stories before she left, so she's not quite gone completely. We will be hearing from her again over the next few weeks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, you can find more stories on our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.